0: House. It's hard all over. But if you can't bay your soul to family, then I dunno what's what. <laughs> This is Caroline.
1: And this is Mike. Welcome to Tales from Yaya's, the Your Honor podcast. Tonight, we're talking about part six of season one, maybe season one, maybe just the series. I don't know. We really haven't talked too much about does this go on to a season two.
0: I'm starting to hear some rumblings that maybe season two, because I'm seeing people start saying, oh, maybe that's just for this season. And I'm all like, what?
1: There's something here, though, that makes me feel like there's a world, even if it's maybe not Brian Cranston and, and the Desiato family. I feel like there's a world here to continue telling a story.
0: Tales from Yaya could be the season two. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, an anthology <laughs> series. We'll get uh, we'll get Ryan Murphy involved, and we'll have a Tales from Yaya's anthology series.
0: We got this. Caroline,
1: show. We're, we're gonna be rich.
0: <laughs> Thank God, it's about time.
1: Anyway, part six tonight was written by Jennifer Caccio.
0: We're saying that this feels like a whole world, I think. Props to the writers, because I feel like you're feeling that way, because everyone is starting to really fill out quite nicely. This is like the summer after eighth grade. Everybody came back, and they're all filled out quite nicely.
1: And the episode was directed by Clark Johnson. (laughs) How was that for getting back on uh, path?
0: You got got right there.
1: I got right there. That natural segue. (laughs) Carlo, Carlo's a little piece of shit, huh? I really don't like him at all.
0: I think he's a big piece of shit. He's not even yeah, a big He is piece
1: tall. Shit. That's true. That is true. He is, <laughs> he is a tall, tall piece he's of shit. He's
0: a senior, and the rest of us were just coming back from eighth grade summer.
1: So I think we need to give ourselves some props. We're, we're not super big on patting ourselves on the back, mm-hmm. but I think we called a bunch of things with Carlo that seem to be coming true in this episode.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we knew that he was going to be trying to create his own little crew here. We definitely Mm -hmm. knew he was leaning into the drug biz. He thought he had like a whole plan here. And we knew that he was going to be trying to cut Jimmy right on out of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, and really not being subtle about it. If anything, I mean, it almost seems kind of edible in how he's trying to step to his father. I agree. He specifically says, you know, as he's using Joey as a Guinea drug pig, Mm. you know, he says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show my father that. That I was right but show him about what though that was the question that he has a brain that he's good at the business or that drugs are the future of the Baxter family
0: I'm gonna say that that they could go toe-to-toe with Big Mo and like outsell in the Baxter fam and that they could basically take over the whole waterfront sitch that's what I'm going with
1: my feeling was kind of really that my feeling was more that the Baxters probably aren't in the drug game which I don't is not think a, they are which is not uncommon for crime families. We associate, especially like the Italian mafias in New York and the the crime families up here, we associate them with drugs, along with all the other vices. But that was a pretty late thing, given how long they were in town. The Italian mafia, anyway, didn't get into drugs really not until the seventies, because they saw themselves really as the guardians of their neighborhoods. That's how they sprang out of, and so the idea of introducing drugs on the streets and putting drugs in kids' hands and and everything that's associated with that, was kind of antithetical to what they believed in.
0: I also think there's something about drugs that, that by nature is out of control. You know, people act out of control. People do things when they either need to get high, and so they do desperate things, or else when they are high, they do crazy things. And I feel like that's very anti like keeping everything under control, under a watchful eye. You don't need that type of unpredictability.
1: Right. And Carlo is, I mean, if you looked in the dictionary I think under or next to unpredictable would be a picture of Carlo Baxter. He seems to be the definition of unpredictable. Whereas Jimmy, and I think in this episode especially, really demonstrated to us how methodical he is how mostly in control he is, because when he loses control, it really makes you sit back because it it is explosive. Why does it scare you?
0: Because it did come out of nowhere. And because, I, you know, we had had this really consistent, methodical afternoon with him where you could see everything he was doing. And then all of a sudden he just snaps. And when that happened, I was like, "Mm, (laughs) don't do it. (laughs) I know you were thinking about me with that knife and cutting that freaking grapefruit.
1: I absolutely was. I absolutely (laughs) was. Uh, Anytime anyone is cutting food at this point, I think of you because you have uh, a little bit of a phobia with cutting things. But when he actually cut himself, I was like, oh, I know that made Caroline wince. But I I was so,
0: oh, I I brought my hand to my mouth. I was so scared (laughs) that his next move was going to be doing something so violent. I didn't know what, like, was he going to cut his own hand again? Like, I didn't know what he was going to do, which I know seems crazy. Like, who does that? But... I didn't I felt that out of control
1: get back to Carlo were you are you surprised that he's hitting the ground so fast I mean he's only been out of jail in, in one episode I think I was a little taken aback that we followed it up so quickly after just last week having the conversation at the dinner where he's at the at the restaurant table with his young Young Bloods, and he's talking about starting up a crew in the drug trade. I I think I was actually a little surprised that the show moved it along so fast this week.
0: To be honest, I think I would say that about absolutely everything that happened in this episode. I thought, for it only being episode 6 and knowing we're going to episode 10, I thought, wow, all of this moved forward more quickly than I expected, and Every puzzle, like if we were doing like a little a little game here of like of sort of Tetris or whatever, like so many puzzle pieces fit all at once that I was like, oh, my God, like the levels are disappearing so quickly. I I was not expecting this. I thought we were going to get where we are now about episode nine.
1: It does make me feel like we're going to spend time with Carlo and a trial where we're, mm-hmm. we're going to end up spending a lot of time with the judge, with Michael on in, on the judge's bench, mm-hmm. which I guess is okay, and, and I'm excited, and I, try, I think the show's built up enough street cred with me to have me want to go along with that ride. But I've really enjoyed the being out and about aspect of the show, especially the last three episodes and I feel like if we get stuck in a courtroom for several episodes, I feel like maybe that's that's going to be a little bit of uh, a little sluggish.
0: Well, let's get into Carlo and all that he brought down on this family, because it is far more happened, uh, especially, I mean, when they just dropped that Lee stuff in, that came out of nowhere for me. I was in the last couple minutes of this episode and all of a sudden Lee's on my screen. I was like, hello, what are we? We're going to start here. We're going there in this episode. Like, so I wasn't ready for like any of that.
1: We had talked about uh, what is current kofi's story become after he gets killed what is lee's role in all this and we had said that she was going to continue to press his his murder forward that she wasn't buying that it was a suicide again i was i was pleasantly surprised that we got it but like you after not seeing her for so long it was a major development
0: i thought we would see her with michael next Like, didn't it seem like we should be getting into that massaging that relationship a little bit before she's just like right back at work?
1: I don't know, because I feel like uh, from Michael's point of view, she's been handled. He I don't think he really appreciates what she's doing now, because even when even when he takes the phone call right before his meetup with Trevor, he really just rushes her off the phone. I don't know how much he's actually processing about what Lee is doing. It was very useful for him to get that call because he was able to trade his life. For the information that she gave him, which is interesting, whether or not she's in trouble now, it's going to be interesting. Did Michael inadvertently put Lee in the crosshairs, uh, you know, keeping him alive, and so that he can help get Carlo acquitted or get him, you know, off on the Kofi murder? That's going to be very interesting.
0: You know, every single time that he does something, his actions cause some sort of reaction that he is not anticipating.
1: I like that Lee didn't get the first jail inmate to snitch because that felt really authentic authentic to me. That uh, a, a jailhouse ruled by desire, like we saw when Kofi was there, it would be very hard pressed to find snitches because that comes with a whole set of consequences and repercussions that most of those inmates who are doing time there and going to spend any kind of time there they don't want to they don't want to mess with. So that felt really authentic to me. That being said. Uh, I want to give a props uh, shout out to Martin Batts Bradford, who plays the Navy Lewis, who is the second inmate she interviews, because when he gives up the information and you can see him really be convinced by her pro bono pitch, mm-hmm. which... Who wouldn't want a $1,000 lawyer for free, a $1,000 per hour lawyer for free? But his hesitation, the fear about saying Carlo's name out loud, it was like he was going to summon, you know, the Wicker Man or something. <laughs> yes. or, you know, it was like
0: Candyman man or like Bloody Mary or one of those. He didn't he didn't want to say it. I mean, he was right? looking you can. and And again, I agree with you. I thought that Mr. Bradford there had. The cogs turning in his head like you could see them. He was calculating all the risks and the benefits and trying to figure out what he needed to do here. I thought Lee played it brilliantly by laying it out how many years he was going to have to be there. But you are so right. I mean, the actual fear and true danger... For those inmates, I mean, we're talking about inmate on inmate crime. I mean, how are you going to name an inmate? <laughs> you know, like you're putting yourself in so so much danger. Being where
1: he is in the cell block, it's not going to be hard to track back to who gave this information out. Mm. If someone wants to come looking in OPP, yeah, you know me, Where her, where the snitch came from about where Kofi went and who was the last one to see him alive. It's not going to get very hard to track back to Mr. Lewis having a a corner suite on, you know, cell block C. But damn, he was looking at a lot of years for, quote unquote, jack in one car.
0: You could understand that would have been his practically his lifetime.
1: I mean, and let's assume he makes it out of there alive at all. And I, I, you know, something tells me that the more time you spend in a rough and tumble prison the likelihood of you actually finishing your sentence, unfortunately, probably gets greatly diminished. For me, the Big Carlo action, though, was the meeting at Big Mo's. What a switch in power dynamic from last week when Big Mo and Little Mo had to go to Jimmy's office in the hotel. This week we have Carlo and high as a fucking kite Joey showing up (laughs) at Big Mo's shop.
0: There was something about Mo's meeting space that when we first came in, we came in, the angle was like from up above. Okay, so they have these like voodoo shops and like there's a lot of like sort of this black magic kind of feel that goes on in, in New Orleans. That is this 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 sort of like, like I thought they were at a seance, okay, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> because I was like, what is this? And uh, the fabric on the walls and everything that was going on, I was like, what am I looking at? And then I was like, oh my God, this is Big Mo. Okay, I'm seeing what's happening here. But seriously, I thought, where did these fools go? What are they doing?
1: I got to tell you, if I didn't like Carlo before and I didn't, when he snaps his jaw at facing the little gator head in the uh-huh. tank, it may be he has he, it just, he's he got such a punchable face. That's all <laughs> I was thinking. You know, he reminded me of like young Biff Tannen from mm. the original Back to the Future when they go back to 1955.
0: He does have that vibe completely.
1: A real punchable face. Like you don't know why, but you just want to curl up your your fist and then just stuff it in his face.
0: You don't know why you feel
1: that way, but then you hear him speak or you see him act, and then you're like, oh yeah, that's why I feel that. It's way.
0: because not unlike Pigpen, he has these like arrogant stink lines that come off of him <laughs> that you can just see it from like a mile away. You're like, not I'm...
1: that Pigpen is arrogant, but Pigpen no, is. Stinky. He has
0: different stink lines, yes. but I I just I feel like I could see this kind of just oozing out of him. And the second he opens his mouth, you're like, oh, like confirmed. You're such a yeah
1: that's exactly what i'm feeling whenever i see carlo but particularly here with when when he like snaps his teeth mm-hmm. honestly it was actually like just be
0: sound either you know how i feel about that
1: i know it was exactly like iceman does to maverick in top gun oh. when they're in the locker room when when val kilmer snaps his teeth sh- shut in in maverick's face yeah that's exactly what that scene was mm. and yeah i find i find it very obnoxious interesting this is where we hear that big mo already has dealings with the baxter family carlo not repentant clearly acting outside the lines of his father's you know, permitted business dealings. Interesting, her line at the end there, the father and son divided rule and just kind of shaking her head. And she's amused. Like she's just kind of watching on for furl because she has a good sense of where that's going to go.
0: We talked about this in the last episode where I said, I feel a real power struggle coming on here between uh, Carlo and Jimmy, but and also Gina. There's like this whole little mix of Who is trying to grab power? Who's really, really calling the shots? When anyone sees that, when you see something like going on with your enemy like that, even I'm going to say your reluctant business partner. I loved that body language that big Mo was giving there because she is just sitting back watching the show. You know, she could have been eating her popcorn, but there's this motion that I feel like someone does that. It kind of looks like she was putting like lotion on her hands, but it's also this sort of like, it's not anxious wringing of your hands, but it's kind of like, mm, like you're getting ready to eat like a feast or something. You can't wait for it to be ready. And you're like, Oh, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. She kept moving her hands around over and over again. And I was like, Oh, This is a woman who is like anticipating shit to hit the fan.
1: Yeah, it was like half shot in fruit because she she feels like she's about to watch the these shiny ass white people like implode upon (laughs) themselves. But the other half is that it's going to be good business for her, especially if the Baxter, if this little branch of the Baxter's family is going to be trying to move in on the drug trade now. She can't be super happy about that, even if she's going to be buying their product and moving Carlo's product. It has to represent some kind of competition to a business line of hers.
0: I would think so. Yes. Watching
1: dog eat dog and, and her just kind of stand on the sidelines and place bets on it.
0: Because it's not anxious hand wringing. It's like it's like when Mr. Burns does that thing where he's like, it's like you're like excited, you know? Yeah,
1: right. And little Moe Smithers in that equation.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Excellent. Mm-hmm. I, she was so smooth. It was almost a little bit like he was at his first day as a vacuum salesman, door to door vacuum salesman, and almost seemed a little unnerved by how smooth she was. And I gotta tell you, I like seeing Carlo on his back foot. You know, I don't want him getting comfortable. I want him feeling uneasy.
0: You know, though, the Baxter that made me feel most uneasy in that entire Carlo mess was Gina. I mean, she when she just pops around the corner, she's like, hello, boys. Uh, she has this Morticia vibe going on when she real big Morticia vibe. Nice
1: call. Yeah. And she's
0: like standing in the glow of the room behind her there. It is so fucking creepy. And she just pops out of nowhere. But the way that Carlo doesn't even flinch that she's there, but just kind of like, awkwardly says you know oh you know we got something we're gonna go do and she's like i'll make sure that you know you're not disturbed kind of thing holy smokes
1: it was like they were they were reenacting some kind of rehearsed play Mm mm-hmm but you approve of what I'm doing because you think I have the balls that your husband doesn't have. And so you're going to say you're going to give me cover.
0: You know what this has? like? Very,
1: it was all very premeditated on both of their parts.
0: This has like such a, a strange stink on it as if like and I know this probably is not true at all. But it feels like Carlo and Gina married in with Jimmy and then they had Rocco and Fia. But it's like Carlo and his relationship with, with Gina is just really different.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a very mommy son gross kind of borderline sexual like relationship. I mean, there
0: was a little bit of like flirtation weirdness at the door when she said i'll make sure you're not disturbed kind of thing like that was the kind of thing that like the the busty secretary says when she's like leaving the room what are you doing there
1: <laughs> you're 100 percent right i mean, honestly since she pulled since she pulled him close at the funeral and like whispered in his ear her whole vibe and relationship with carlo has been real awkward aspect to that and i don't know if it's just to manipulate him because i think that for me the bottom line is Gina sees him as her next shot to really mold the power figurehead the way she wants him to look. Whereas Jimmy is like her her test case, where she gets maybe seven out of ten things out of Jimmy. You know, she she's starting earlier with Carlo and maybe even grooming him, grooming him in several ways, to to be the future. Either because Jimmy's not long for this world if Gina has it her way, or she feels like she just doesn't have enough control over him. Whereas with Carlo, with you know, there's already built-in mommy issues. There's a lot of emotion about stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on there. It's edible on his side, like, you know, my mother's gonna give me cover and I'm gonna take that my father kind of thing. Uh, but on her end, it's very I'm going to use my my sexuality and my influence as his mother to ex- kind of exert my will, because she certainly doesn't act that way remotely with Fia.
0: no. Nor with Rocco, thinking back to that beginning morning breakfast, there was none of those vibes going on. She's not just like someone who like is like sultry, you know, mom all the time. She's not petting everyone's hair and kissing on cheeks and shit like she's not doing anything to anyone else. But with Carlo, there's just this weird.
1: If you look at the casting, the show did a really good job of casting Fia that looks like Michael Stuhlberg. Uh, the actor who plays Jimmy, like, they look alike. Rocco looks like Jimmy Baxter's son. Carlo doesn't really share the same. Uh, he looks like Gina's son. He doesn't really look like Jimmy's son, if you look at them kind of together.
0: Uh, this is this is just where I was going, where I felt like they have this relationship, and then it's like Jimmy, Fia, and, and Rocco, that's totally different. Like, they just, they came as a married-in little group, you know, that Jimmy got. You know, he inherited Carlo, And yeah, no, I feel that because I don't feel like Carlo and Jimmy have a relationship at all.
1: You would think that a son of a crime boss would be more docile and responsive to his father's whims than Carlo. Respectful, you'd think. That's the word, yes. More respectful of his father's commands and orders. Uh, Carlo seems to have zero respect for Jimmy and his word.
0: He's got real stepdad vibes. Mm. It's interesting. I'm ready for the line, you're not my father to come like bursting out of carlo's mouth right that's not what mom said like there's all this Mm -hmm. like mom is doing this like there's just no boss right "Uh and there's no like i only have to answer to mom
1: which is not the dynamic you would expect uh, from a biological son but very much like you said very much stepdad vibes not only does he need to prove something to his now quote unquote father will say but oust him in a way you know prove that he's better smarter better at making money for the family all of the things that a headstrong son would want to prove to his mother and prove to his stepfather
0: i like all that
1: the big twist at the end of the episode was that the second autopsy yielded some results were you surprised that we heard about this in this episode
0: i was surprised that it was served up to lee i was really surprised when the medical examiner was like hey would some dna help that was a line that stood out like what
1: (laughs) it was a very provocative line that someone who was just a disinterested government worker you wouldn't expect from but remember lee is the one who spearheaded getting the sec autopsy run so maybe along with that she gets to pick who does the autopsy it's literally getting like a second opinion when you have a second autopsy done so maybe she got to handpick someone who is committed to justice for all in the same way that maybe lee is i mean maybe they're like-minded folks i guess that's that's what i'm trying to say
0: do you think that was like a clunky line or do you think it's just that he's familiar with lee and so he was just kind of being like a little facetious with her like hey would some dna help
1: it it struck me more as uh, they have a relationship Okay. like a work they have a, a existing working relationship.
0: Well, I was shocked, shocked, shocked. I was
1: shocked because it's only episode 6. Yes. This is kind of this is like the the last minute twist thing, you know, Kofi had DNA under his nails that you get right before like the season to go, you know, goes dark or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not not episode 6. Um, yeah, so I, I and I, you know, I'm kind of happy, though, because now my mind is spinning. What does this mean? Are we going to trial for four more episodes? Like, the show is going on a path that I wouldn't have been able to predict. Because now, especially with Trevor being dead, there really are no more Adam links, right? I mean, oh, Jimmy, I don't
0: know. There's, there's still more witnesses out there.
1: I, yes, yeah, I know. And every week I come on and I say, "Well, all the evidence has been taken care." Of. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> always,
0: uh,
1: "Jimmy doesn't know about Adam, but he knows about the Desiados."
0: But that's okay because the key right now is still to keep Adam out of the crosshairs, right? That's yes. that's a big part of this. So yes. I think that this is still on track for that part right now, right at this second. For sure. While we're
1: talking about, we were talking about Jimmy. And, and what he knows and doesn't like know. Jimmy's
0: day out. <laughs> this was Jimmy's day out.
1: I mean, what what a productive day for Jimmy.
0: Oh, my God. Those subtle things that he did, the turning of the mom's photograph, turning Robin away, the leaving piss in the toilet with some pee on the seat.
1: Just a little drop, uh-huh. a little shake, a little shake he on the seat. He never
0: flushed that toilet, Mike. Like, you have to come in, there's going to be, like, pee in the toilet. Like He
1: didn't, but he <laughs> washed his hands, though, and I'm really, really impressed that he washed his hands. (laughs) That's a a sign of someone who cares.
0: But the fact that he washes his hands and doesn't flush is like if anyone was sitting around saying, oh, I wonder if he's trying to leave some sort of symbol here. He's leaving a symbol, y'all. He literally pissed around this place.
1: I got to tell you, this scene was anxiety ridden. I I think it was a great job of watching him stalk the house. So here's the thing. I don't know if I've done a good job of hiding this. I actually really like Jimmy Baxter. I like the character. I empathize with him in a way that is troubling to me that I feel so much for him.
0: Uh Oh, go ahead. Dive deep on that. Now, why are you? Why are you feeling this way? What's going on? Talk to me.
1: Uh, Well, because I because I would imagine in the same position, the loss of a son, the loss of a child. I think I would act all very, very similar. I think I would be going through a lot of the same Dabda stages that Jimmy is going through, that we're seeing him go through, that he has to keep moving forward in his world. He can't lose face. He he has to be proactive. He has to be a bit of a shark, right? Sharks can't stop. Sharks have to go. But at the same time, dealing with his grief, and I think he's having a real hard time i don't get the feeling that war and death is really how he wants to be processing this i feel like every turn jimmy's kind of had his arm twisted a bit before he made a decision to turn towards violence i think in this scene i i feel like he is checking out the desiados house one to send a message Someone has been here. The taking the picture, of the Polaroid of Django, and leaving it on the pillow. The piss in the toilet. The piss on the seat. Robin picture being turned around. Those were all obviously items to unnerve, right? That someone is going to observe in their house. Someone's been here. But it felt like to me when he grabs the inhaler, and I'm curious if you what you took this from. He looks at it, and he looks at himself in the mirror, and he weighs the inhaler. He was almost like weighing it to me seemed like he made a decision it was only then that he made a decision about what he was going to do and what he was going to do was i have to kill this guy i can't let this skate the, the almost like finding an inhaler which was so well associated with the crime scene was literally the last nail in Rocco's coffin it made him feel like he has to exact revenge against the judge
0: I agree with you. So here's how I was reading Jimmy's mood. I think that we have to remember that he is the one that gave the motorbike to Rocco. He is the one who feels responsible for sending him off that day, you know, telling him hop on the bike, let's get going, you know, like sending him literally to his death. So he's having all that. He's also the type of man who very likely doesn't feel like he reads situations wrong very often. He mishandled Everything having to do with Cusack, not listening to the second nine one one tape, not requiring more evidence from everybody, not doing more due diligence, basically before blowing up a family. Exactly, and so there was a lot of hot headedness. And there's some part of this stalking around the house that I actually associate with the pacing in the bathroom, where he's like, he's not just looking around the house at all. He's like pacing. He's like. His mind is going. He's absorbing who these people are. He's determining, I can't believe that these people somehow, you know, were, were under my radar. Like, who the fuck am I if I can't see things that are happening right in front of my face? You know, this man's picture was on the front page of the newspaper. And I chose the wrong guy of those two photographs. And I, I just think there was so much amazing layering happening there. That whole eating the little thing out of the refrigerator, eating a little piece of food.
1: It was a grape or an olive. I couldn't figure out which one it was. I thought it was he a grape, but it. I'm with
0: you on the – yeah, he washed it, it, so I'm going with a grape. But here's yeah, the thing it about looked it.
1: looked like an olive, though. It looked like a big old delicious-looking olive, but he washed like it. like
0: that, like, I drink your milkshake like, oh yeah. feel. Like, it was like, I'm eating your food. I'm playing with, with your dog. my fingers. Dog.
1: I'm I put like, my fingers in your food. It's yes. It's like, if, if, yes. He had, if he had drank – from the milk carton directly and then put it back (laughs) it's like that kind of thing
0: everything about it there's just this whole i mean and he literally touched his wife like Mm -hmm. the whole thing was just it was so sinister it had a very like sleeping with the enemy someone was in the house moved the cans you know kind of feel where you're like and you know he's in there but i don't you're right that inhaler i think shot his mind and his mood Back to that crime scene, back to that night, back mm-hmm. to Freddie picking that up and being, showing it, it to him. him. It did, and and honestly, it was like uh, when like uh, Doc Brown like puts together the two uh, wires and is like, Zzz! like it was like the two pieces were coming together. Like it is him. This solidifies it.
1: I love this. Last week we had a whole Harry Potter rant. This week we're doing a Back <laughs> to the Future. We're all over the
0: place, though. We're like we're, we we we're, just we're don't deep know. In our nostalgia. We're, right? we're
1: big franchise people. We love it. We love a good family <laughs> franchise.
0: Hey, this episode was electric. You know, and I'm just trying to be there. I'm trying to, I'm trying to gigawatt this shit. That's all I'm trying to say.
1: 88 miles per hour baby uh listen how nervous were you that jingo just coming off of last week's really traumatic episode with Django, was something bad was gonna happen to him
0: tell me what was happening though because i mean he basically made friends with the dog right because he gives him Django, a treat. not
1: a good guard dog as no, it turns out bad
0: bad guard dog. <laughs>
1: Django, jingo <laughs> sucks as a guard dog as it he turns does out a
0: lot of wandering around and not a lot of barking that's no. that's the whole thing. No. Like, I don't know that we've heard him do much barking.
1: No, he only barks when he's going to dig up his bloody rag. The <laughs> only time he that he gets really he upset. Needs help. Yes, yes, <laughs> only when his humans. And and listen, Jimmy was very solicitous. He gave him some pets. He took him on a little tour. He probably didn't get to go in Adam's room very often.
0: And he asked him to sit for a little photo. And then pooch was like, po- pooch was like, queso. He like smiled so nice. Queso,
1: okay, the <laughs> most text tech- thing you've ever said. <laughs>
0: You know what, We're in New Orleans. He probably was like "crawdads) <laughs> <He kind> of... <laughs> Oh
1: boy! <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he got a little glamour <laughs> shots. I mean, yeah, it was it was actually pretty funny with Jimmy and the dog. So what up with he that? He gives though? him he gives him like the little come here finger, which mm-hmm. was adorable, but also really sinister.
0: Mm-hmm. Like he could
1: have been like come here because he's gonna go slit his throat or something.
0: I didn't know where we were going. When I didn't he did know. The Polaroid, I, didn't I was know. like, are you gonna like you know string Django up and take a picture of it? Like I didn't know where we were going with this. Uh, again, very sleeping with the enemy. We're not gonna put a horse head in your bed we're just going to arrange all the cans in a certain way and you'll know what it means you'll know someone's been here but i'm not going to do something that's so heinous but why wait why mike why befriend the pooch i think that's jimmy's nature I think he's someone that, all things being
1: equal, Jimmy would like to be the Jimmy Baxter that Fia describes as the father she knows. The the king of oysters that runs hotels and restaurants and says, the world is your oyster, dad jokes. I think in his mind, that's who Jimmy would like to be. That all the other stuff has to do is all a means to getting to that end so he can snuggle with his daughter and talk about how he's never going to let her marry and be cute with her. and
0: But, and also say... We should get a dog. Mike, there's something to this. Like, what is his draw to Michael? What is this? Like, we should get a dog. Like, this should be what our house looks like. We should have this relationship with each other. Like, what is happening? What are we seeing?
1: Well, think about the revelation that his wife is conspiring with his top lieutenants behind his back. Mm. He doesn't seem to have a great relationship with his oldest son, his youngest child. I don't know why I assume Fia is older than Rocco. Oh, she is. She is right. I and mean, she definitely yeah. feels like a year or two old. Th- not very much like like and I think 18, she's probably eighteen. Old, no, I think she's 18. like
0: eighteen right? because she's she hasn't gotten to college yet. So I think she's eighteen to
1: to Rocco's just about to turn eighteen. So all he has in this world is Fia. and Fia is a dog person. Fia. it was a great character continuation from her conversation with Adam from last week about dogs and and she named dogs in this episode that she named with Adam last episode. It was a really nice continuation of that little arc. But it, because they continued to, it really deepened her character. It shows that Jimmy has been listening to her all these years, which how many times I think, you know, my son, if he thinks I'm actually listening to him when he says stuff and I am. And maybe I'm not always acknowledging that I'm listening to him, but I, I absorb the all of the things that he talks about. And, you know, every now and then I come out with something and he's like, oh, you were paying attention when I said that. That was like what that moment was for me. Uh, for jimmy was after seeing the Desiados' calm house no blood no henchmen no no lady Macbeth, no psychotic oedipus rex son you know but plotting my downfall like even in the quiet of their home he got to experience what a normal not crime life house was and maybe the dog was a manifestation of that
0: I like all that. I, I think that there's definitely like
1: it's the longing. It's the it's a dad who just runs hotels and restaurants. Yeah, you know, it's that fantasy that he, that his daughter clings to. That everything else about him that said is lies. In Jimmy's head, I think that's how – there's a reason why I think Jimmy does all of his fucking business in the restaurant of the hotel. It, it's where he feels like he is the most version of himself.
0: I do think that, that you know, in thinking about Fia and Jimmy snuggling, I, I guess I do want to back up like one half step and say, okay, so Gina being a little bit more affectionate, however that comes out, and I know we're seeing sort of sexual or there's just sort of this more flirty vibe there mm-hmm. is something about this household that does have a very hands-on, affectionate. You know, I mean, there's not. I did not snuggle with my dad at that age, and yeah. I wouldn't. I do think that there's something about the personality of the family that is worth just kind of tempering our judgment of all of the touchy-feelingness between parents and kids.
1: For me, it it, it really boils down more to the idea that Carlo is Gina's kid. Fia is jimmy's kid and i think that's why jimmy was right why gina was writing jimmy so hard a couple episodes ago about you know she turns away from god and she's killing me and you do nothing in her in her whole do nothing uh stump speech that she was on in that episode (laughs) it's because gina recognizes that she's your daughter you know where almost like she, she doesn't even recognize her as her own kid like that she's your creation she's your mini me whereas carlo is the gina mini me which I have a feeling Rocco is probably a Jimmy Mini Me also, just because of the just because of the limited interaction that we had with them with the bike and how happy Jimmy seemed to be.
0: I'm going to give the show a lot of credit for being diverse in the way that they're trying to share information with us. The idea that we found out that Rocco's, you know, he wasn't this partying banger kid in a way that we all could have thought he was because of the money and the and the life he would have grown up with. The fact that he wanted to go be an art student in Paris... The way this information is coming to us, I think, is is pretty interesting. There's been, you know, we're going to get into Michael, but in talking with with Ed there and everything, there's a lot of different ways that they're trying to share characters' backstories and filling out the characters so well that I'm really impressed. That Rocco's dead. Rocco was only on screen for like ten minutes. We, I'm, I know what his future plans were and all this stuff. I, I think that that's fascinating.
1: I'll up you one better. You
0: will. What are you going to do to me?
1: (laughs) Because I was going to say this. I was going to say this before when we were talking about Jimmy going through the house and his reconnaissance. The show has done an amazing job of making Robin Desiato a character in the show. And she's had no screen time. I mean, she's dead a year other than the actress in the picture. We don't know who she is at all. And yet she is a really important character like a ghost in a story that hangs over
0: this whole plot. Yeah, it has almost like that desperate housewives, like the dead characters, the narrator, but right, she doesn't right. have any. There's, You're right, like nothing. I also want to say, though, about turning that, that picture on, that's actually kind of a cool sign of respect in sort of some weird way. Like he's like an intruder and he's like, you need to like look the other way, ma'am. Like
1: <laughs> Before I realized what he was doing, I thought that's exactly what it was, that he was going to do some nasty shit either to the dog or he was going to do something wrong really heinous in the house yeah. and turn the picture around but then but then when he was in the bathroom and the, the other stuff we saw him doing then i realized it was he was just doing to make subtle changes to, to leave a message
0: i still think there's like a gentlemanly thing because he could have turned all the pictures or done whatever i just thought it was kind of cool. true
1: true but this that the way he acted in the house goes towards my hypothesis about how he would try and conduct his business more times than not until his wife rides him so hard that he has to blow up a family is it's subtle, right? It's not in your face. It's not taking all the pictures and turning them around. It's not leaving a calling card, a literal calling card on a counter. It's little things because I was thinking about it for myself. What would have to trigger you to feel like someone had been in this place?
0: I think that Leaving pee in the toilet is a, is a really good, like, what? Because I, sure, I would definitely but walk two, around. You have and two be, men
1: in your house, though, and it's not an uncommon mm, thing for men to do no, that. I have a 12 year old who does it no, all the time.
0: No, this isn't the thing here. So, no, <laughs> no, uh, they wouldn't do that. But I think that that's a good one. But f- so for you, though, because because you do have a kiddo, but, but some of the time you're in the place by yourself, I mean, I would think that there would be times when. Certainly a picture being moved feels, I don't know, like a specter was there or something, you know?
1: If one of them was turned around, yeah. I would for fuck sure notice that. Yeah. Even out of the corner of my eye, I feel like I would sense it, even though I don't necessarily stare at them all the
0: time. Right. No, that's a really good one because you're right. I, I think there's so many other things that you could move around in the house that, I don't know, I have kids, I, you know, I have pets and stuff. I probably wouldn't notice, but a picture turned all the way around, th- there is no call for that. That is a purposeful movement. Someone did that. Who did that? I want answers. So that's, a. I mean, that's a fantastic one.
1: It's a really good job, right? The show has done such a good job of, of not only showing who these people are and really creating really three dimensional characters all the way down for a big ensemble, but all the details that they don't call attention to, but just let you pick up yourself. It's, it's a really, really masterful job, I think. Yeah. So as we said, it feels really like Jimmy after he weighs the Desiato household and he finds the inhaler that he steals himself to, to have Frankie follow the judge and put a hit out on the judge. I think it's interesting that Frankie tells him, asks him twice, mm-hmm. you know, explicitly like, I don't, I don't want there to be any, you know, confusion over my orders here. You want me to kill the judge.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up previous weeks that you thought like, you know, killing a judge is like really raising the, the stakes here.
1: You know, Frankie gets it. Frankie gets the gravity of the situation. For Jimmy to take the step of putting a hit out on a sitting judge in the city is a big, big step. And it has repercussions. It has consequences so much that Frankie, who doesn't really question his orders from his boss, asks him twice in this episode. You're sure? You're sure? I thought that was really important. And that Jimmy's there. I think that's really interesting that Jimmy's there in the car both times that Frankie goes to do the thing. Uh, I mean, you bet Jimmy doesn't usually go with Frankie on Frankie's killings or manglings that he has to do on behalf of his boss. I would think not.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't go. That's the fun of having like a like a lackey is is you you get to stay home and watch TV.
1: Sure, you get to snuggle with your kid while Let's you know the work's being done for you. And not only does he, is he in the car the first time that luckily Fee and Adam kind of bust up that operation, he actually gets involved, heavily involved in the second time where Michael really is about to, you know, is staring down the barrel of Jimmy's gun. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, but, I, know, I like that the show brought is, that up. This
0: has got to be that whole personal aspect of like, yeah, he doesn't go on these things, but this is a personal hit. He wants to see the dead body. You know, he he wants to be yeah. the one to pull the trigger.
1: Right, because if it wasn't personal, he wouldn't be doing it. If it Mm -mm, was anyone else other than his kid involved, because it's an extraordinary step, but it's a personal step. And so he has to be involved. I think you're 100% right. Just to round out Jimmy's story before we get to the end with him and Michael later on. But I think it's a really interesting thing to show him in the quiet moments with Fia. Because remember, the last time we saw him alone with Fia, it started quiet with the gazpacho, but he ends up cursing and screaming at her. It was interesting to see him have this snuggle time and talking about what kind of dog they would get and then talking about Adam. Oh, my God. Did you did you gasp Mm -hmm. when when the whole Adam? Because we talked about it's going to come down to Adam showing up at at Jimmy's house and finding out who he is. I feel like the show said, yep, you guys were right.
0: And I feel like it's still coming. (laughs) I don't think we're going to not have that. I definitely think that that whole conversation there and that snuggle time and everything Jimmy is really taking stock of everything. I mean, that's why I mm-hmm. feel like he was like, we need to get a dog because it's like we, we it's like going back through your mind. We were like ticking off the boxes like did this, did this, did this. We never got a dog. We should get a dog. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's just yeah. funny. But I did like the way that they were pulling on us a little bit. Like he would ask a question like, what does his dad do? that like a huge pregnant pause of like, is she gonna say he's a judge? Does she even know? You know, like what is she gonna say? And then he's she's all dead, you know, and it's just like doesn't answer, you know, and like all that. I would I wanted to I was laughing when he said, because I think that we've had this conversation before about the idea that he doesn't say, I want you to go to college, graduate, get a great job, then get married and have kids and stuff. In, this is the South. <laughs> I want you to go to college, graduate, get married, have kids like it's like because that's how it that's how it goes. Like 21 fee is supposed to be engaged. And we've had this conversation about the Southern expectations. That's the expectation. Graduate, get married, have kids. It's wild to me. I know, but you saw it in action, right? Jimmy didn't say, come work for me, blah, blah, blah. You raise this huge thing and then find a nice man or blah, blah, Mm, graduate, get married. (laughs) That's the plan.
1: The show took you by the hand and said, come on, we're going to go on a little journey in this episode. And the editing and the cross-cutting back and forth between characters was so, so good. It showed you—it gave you all the emotional cues without a need for music, without anything. You you understood exactly where you were supposed to be and what you were supposed to feel. Because we're cutting back and forth between Jimmy and Fia at the same time that we're cutting to Michael and Adam, who— Are having the first happy conversation these two have had the entire series. It was not lost on me that these two have not had a peaceful, fatherly son happy moment. This is the most normal I think we've ever seen them.
0: Okay, I needed some help with that, though, because how did we get there? I thought Michael was leading Adam to to have this kind of gotcha moment when he he was just sort of like meandering about talking about how he met Robin and, and meeting her at the cafe and all this stuff. Like, it seemed so much like he was like, and so I know you're dating Fia Baxter. You know, like, it seemed so much like we were going there and then it didn't go there and i didn't even know how they got to this father-son meal
1: everything that happens in michael and adam's day prior to this Mm. is actually what leads specifically to this moment okay Uh, but to answer your specific question i think adam is very well aware already knows the story of how his father met his mother in a cafe when i heard that story my first thought was well obviously that's why he set up his meet with fia last week in the cafe in a little starbucksy kind of story okay. he, he- drawing on what he knew from his own parents because how else would he know he probably hasn't had i mean i'm sure he didn't take his teacher to a cafe he met her in class he didn't meet her in a cafe hearing that story filled in a blank from last week of if you had a question of why did adam pick here to run into fia she fia seems like a woman who goes a lot of places with her girlfriends and her friends and her little cute vw bug so why a cafe well because he knows that that's where his parents met. And so he's trying to create an atmosphere of romance for whatever reason. Sure, you're going to do what your parents it's like do.
0: like emulating a little meat cute that he's familiar with.
1: Robin, who is a character that we have a feeling for, even though we've never met her. The relationship that Robin and Adam seem to have had... Seemed like one where Robin, where Adam, even if he didn't know from his father, would have known the story of how his parents got together because of his time with his mother. It made sense of last week that it's not a coincidence uh, that Adam was probably drawing on his parents' history, which I thought was actually a nice a nice motivation thing for why there versus anywhere else he could have met Fia last week. Um but let's back up though, because I think I think you have to I think we have to talk about what the two of them got accomplished during the day to lead to this moment at nighttime. I, I don't even have an asthma attack today. I mean he yeah, great it. Day.
0: it was I, a good for day for Adam. <laughs> which is
1: good because fucking Jimmy stole his inhaler. He wouldn't have I one up know. in the bathroom
0: anyway. <gasps> what if that's like a whole thing? <laughs> Where he goes to grab it and it's not there.
1: <gasps> what if what if Jimmy had replaced the clean inhaler with the dirty, nasty uh, crime Ooh, scene inhaler? That would that have been would've...
0: so amazing.
1: <sighs> yeah, rewrite. Let's punch it up. Get, right? let, edit the script, guys. We're gonna rewrite this episode. Some blood
0: on it and some gravel. Mm, that would have been a real, real mind fuck.
1: Growing up in the South, did you guys have a lot of VW bugs? Were that was that a thing? Punch buggies.
0: Uh, punch buggies are, yes, the concept of it. I don't know that we had a lot. Uh,
1: I have clear memories of standing in the street in my wayward youth days in Queens with the neighbor kids and just beating the shit out of each other every time a punch buggy would come up and down the street. You know, <laughs> blue punch buggy, no backseas kind of thing. Uh, so when I see fear. Fia... What is a padiddle?
0: That's when there's only one headlight. Oh, no. No, <laughs> I've never heard you of You get such more a thing. punching in for that. <laughs>
1: Punch Buggy got you a punch, but if you had picked the right color mm. and that's what came around the corner, like you got like extra punches kind yeah. of thing. And yeah, then Padiddle, like
0: a one headlight, punch I've more. I've
1: heard of Padiddle, <laughs> that's just blowing my mind.
0: Yeah, well, welcome.
1: Uh, good character building that Fia Baxter is, she's not driving around in a fancy Mercedes like Frankie is or a Beamer like, you know, Michael is, you know, she's driving a vintage cute version of Adam's. Volvo, Adam's mom's Volvo, you know. Or like that... Rocco's,
0: you know, motorcycle. It's something cute and cool and vintage. Yeah, it's got personality. It's expensive without looking luxury.
1: Right, exactly. That's a very good way to put it, which says something about Gina and Jimmy as parents, or or Jimmy, if Jimmy's the one who's buying these things, that he wants his kids to have expensive things, but not showy things.
0: I also think that these, that these kids have uh, this little... Um, you know, they have their own little personality. And part of it is that, you know, when you have money or when you're popular, you don't have to show that like in that way, you don't have to wear a big diamond ring, but you might wear a super cool shirt that could be super exclusive. Um, same with like a vintage car, like not everyone's going to have that at all, but it doesn't, you're right. She's not driving a Rolls, you know?
1: You know, she makes it clear, you know, not too much later on that she's sure that Adam has checked out who she is she probably hasn't experienced a lot of time where people treat her differently than they would treat other people once they realize who she is.
0: So big fat question mark though, does she not know his last name?
1: I don't know how she doesn't know, know his last name unless he lied to her.
0: But going back on that whole, you know, Shirley, you've checked my social media. Surely she's checked his social media, right?
1: Right. Uh, yeah. Yes, for sure. So
0: she would know that the that a desiado car was used in her brother's murder.
1: Maybe, maybe not. Maybe uh, she doesn't. Clearly
0: she hasn't put it together yet. I mean, obviously we're not yeah. there yet, but.
1: I, I don't know how many teenagers read the newspapers. I, I, you know, where, where, you know, or follow it.
0: But she's pretty slick.
1: She's slick, but that doesn't necessarily, maybe she's also still She's still kid, young. Though.
0: Okay. I'll go with you on that.
1: You know, there comes a time when kids kind of find out the news on their own, but for, I think for a long time, kids get their information from their yeah. parents on the things they need to know She's in the world. She's
0: kind of old for all that, but, but, uh, but I'll go with you that somehow this information hasn't crossed her desk She's yet. She's
1: old, but don't you feel like she probably has a pretty sheltered life? I think you know that's the double edged sword of Jimmy and her on the chair when he's like, no, 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 no New York for you, no going to college. Uh, you're gonna, you're you're gonna go to Tulane. And, yes, uh, but
0: again, that's a very southern kind of thing too. And I don't know anything about up there, but I will say for myself, there's a real like I've been told many times that I can move wherever I want, but like my grandkid, the grandkids have to stay here. Like, there's a whole like. People stick together. So I, sure. I we talked about that in New Orleans specifically, that there's a real sense of like people don't leave. Sure.
1: But there's also a very real thing about fathers and their daughters. Something tells me that be- because of who Jimmy is and probably the frequency with which Jimmy is in the newspapers, mm-hmm. they probably censor her a lot on what they encourage her to see. You know, obviously she's aware of what her father's reputation is, but she has clearly not read all of the news articles that are probably written about her father.
0: Well, I would say that she definitely has a healthy criticism for the news that like it's not all correct what you read. So I think that that's like a good thing in for Adam because it means like maybe possibly she will leave some room for maybe it's not the way it's reported.
1: I don't know about that more because she specifically says in this episode, "Don't ever lie to me," and she says she it to him says twice. It so
0: much, I know.
1: I don't. Not to talk about Harry Potter again, but when Voldemort, the evil, the, the he who shall not be named, is a child, and he is first recruited to Hogwarts, and Dumbledore, the the greatest wizard, you know, of an age. Uh, goes and meets Tom Riddle as a young little piece little snot nosed brat uh, you know 67 cigarette you know ass backwards motherfucker kid because he's a real snot Tom Riddle he says is like a little bit of a catchphrase is he's like don't lie to me and he says it really forcefully and really obnoxiously because he know because he has a power where he can tell if you're lying it's one of the things he can do and the way that she says it in this episode is said in the exact same tone the idea that she she's playful she's got a sense of humor she's actually pretty chill pretty laid back but don't lie to her that's definitely a tr- the way she said it it was a real trigger for her I think there's going to be some Rubicon crossing that can't be crossed when it eventually comes out and it inevitably has to come out that Adam has lied about who he is to her.
0: For sure, without a doubt.
1: Major deal breaker. The the don't lie to me, don't ever lie to me twice in this episode signaled to me that it's going to be a real fucking issue for this relationship or whatever this thing is when it comes out. So.
0: Well, I think we're in a relationship. And that's what I was going to say about that. That is not something you just like, say in the way that a lot of her actions were very, like, they've been hanging out a lot, which it doesn't seem like they should have or, or would have. But it feels that way because of how she... I don't – you wouldn't say that to someone you just recently are hanging out with. You're like, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Like, all that kind of business. Or even the whole joking about when dropping off and being like, I'm going to honk the horn. I'm going to kiss you and blah, blah, blah. And that was very like lived in. So
1: that, was, yes. that, was, that was people who had not just met. I really liked that. I thought it was super cute, but it very was yeah. – Very
0: cute and very, like, um, just – they were just instantly a couple like that. Well, there's a I level of how.
1: comfort there. I think yeah. to play that way. Well, I think there's been some days. I, I think the show is doing some time jumping without telling us not huge jumps, but I think days are going in between each of these episodes.
0: Ready to, he doesn't want to go to New York anymore because he's going to miss her. Like, this is all, like, we wouldn't be this deep into it without some time having passed in a little bit of a way.
1: I think his cold feet is partly because of the puppy, the puppy dog love aspect of a new relationship. But I think there's, I think part of his reasoning for the same reason Michael wants him to leave is why he doesn't want to leave I, I don't think Adam has gone through the penance that he thinks he needs to go through yet
0: I think this is all Fia.
1: well I think I think that's definitely a part of it and and we all know puppy dog love and, and how intoxicating and powerful it is and the idea when you're young and you fall in love for that first time and the idea of we're gonna be together forever and this is the greatest thing ever and why don't people put this in a bottle because it feels so fucking good and sell it because everyone would be millionaire if you just sold how this feels right now and adam is very enthralled of that for sure but i think there is also this guilt that he i don't think fia as great a girl as she seems
0: i'm not seeing the guilt i'm seeing a lot of uh more of the puppy dog stuff i'm not seeing it are you seeing it are you feeling it
1: No, because he's been so uh, much around her in these last couple episodes. And I think she's a real, I think she is a real shield for him from those feelings. But I think in his quiet moments, that's still there.
0: It's fascinating how they are both like working out their grief.
1: I wanted to ask you about that. Go
0: ahead. Because this relationship
1: seems and still seems very centered on grief stories. You know, it's almost like one-on-one grief therapy. And that seems to be the crux of the relationship. I think
0: it is. And I think that that's actually very realistic. Like, you know, people who have gone through something together do often, you know, find some sort of kinship there.
1: Is that enough, though, to build a real relationship? Let's put this into the real world. We
0: know this is going to fall apart for a thousand years. Of course, of
1: course. Uh, Let's take all of that out of there. Let's say they met, like, um, in... Well, what's that show? A million, uh, a million little things. Uh, you know, there's a couple in there that have built their relationship on being cancer survivors, and they met in therapy for that. That was the crux of their relationship. That was the thing they had in common, and they tried to build a relationship on that. I felt like this episode did a little bit of expanding their relationship. Obviously, she's very well read, and she's advising him on college and giving him good advice and the shoot for the moon. So there's other stuff here. But it's 99% what, what's your what's your mom grief story this week? What's your Rocco grief story? I
0: think if you can find somebody to talk to who you know has some shared experience that, especially at that age, would be really difficult to find anyone else. Like most people at 17 years old probably don't have someone so close to them having passed, and especially being murdered, both of them. That, that's so unique that you would talk about it, and, and you would treat it like... I I can imagine, and though neither of them have said this, that both of them probably have lost some friends since... The death of their their loved one have had people who are too awkward around them and too standoffish and don't want to bring it up and all that stuff i mean that would all be really natural and normal so and especially just because feels like a sass and the way that she's just like she just says stuff (laughs) that she really does i think i mean i appreciate that about her because i'm totally like someone who just blurt stuff out but
1: caroline there's so much of you in her it's (laughs) really really amusing to watch these episodes is
0: it oh gosh
1: let's go to the abandoned six flags one because i thought it was awesome that they shot here and didn't mm. draw attention to it i said before we start recording i sent you the picture of what the six flags looked like when it was open and if you freeze frame the crane shot from when the bug pulls into the parking lot it's really startling you know every now and then i'll go on these websites that do like abandoned amusement parks around the country I there's some great ones those.
0: i love them
1: they're so haunting
0: mm-hmm. and, and the
1: idea that you can see it in action and it's all full of color the picture i sent it's it's just color it's just reds and blues and six flag and life and people are having cotton candy and screaming on roller coasters and then the the freeze frame of the shot of them pulling into the parking lot and it's it's like post apocalyptic zombies like could be in there yeah like yeah exactly <laughs> like tumbleweeds and it's really really startling but a perfect place for these two kids who are so consumed by death and, and surrounded by it for That loss and loneliness that makes up so much of both of their personalities right now. This was the perfect setting.
0: And I love that she's the one that, like, has been here before because, like, when he goes to, like, you know, give her a hand with, you know, for her to boost her her foot up. And she's like, like, bitch, I've done this like a million times. I don't need your help.
1: She's got a no, she's got a no phone rule.
0: Yes. that's a fantastic date rule anyway. Everyone should turn their phones off and put them away.
1: I like that she called it in Wonderland. I thought that was nice.
0: Yeah, all of it was awesome. I, I think it. I think that they had a lot of small moments. I think that mm-hmm. the conversation about the idea of someone passing and all you can remember is those la- that last morning together. And it's like the rest of it goes away. I get that. Like, I get that. I can remember specific people's last moments and I can still remember some things, but it's a lot more effort. But I can remember exactly what it looked like in those last moments. It, it was very realistic and really relatable, I think, to anyone who's been there. And you could see the grief, you know, this trying to explain everything about our family. The screaming took me off guard completely. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: <laughs> Cathartic, though. I mean, there's something, about, there's something about screaming into a void that does feel good at the end of it.
0: I agree. Adam's story about his mom and the fart was about the most hilarious thing and but such a real moment though. You and just yeah. You never know what your last moment's going to be. He didn't say, I said, I love you. And I got out of the car. He just said, I just got out of the car, you know, and you get the feeling that he didn't probably say anything so great back. You know, he just kind of like left the most ordinary of moments could become your very last moment,
1: especially on a ride to school in the morning. I do that. I do that drive. These are the exact kind of conversations that are, are so real. And I, I liked it because it felt so realistic
0: i love that fia doesn't shy away from saying stuff like what if it was your mom who farted and she like blamed the dog and he's like are you saying that my last moment with my mom was her like lying to me about the <laughs> like, that was all so funny like i i mean i they give really the show well a lot together. of credit yeah uh,
1: they, they and they and hunter and lily have great chemistry together uh, they the, do. as actors have great chemistry together and you really believe each of them they, they are playing the role of these late age teenagers really really well and i think they're really selling why they're compatible there's a shot when this was probably my favorite shot in the episode where he pulls out his camera because of course he always has his camera at him Mm -hmm. and she's sitting in the roller coaster cart which is just laying on the ground and she's got her head back and her eyes closed and she's just at home That was beyond the no phones in Wonderland rule, beyond she doesn't need a boost up into the park, beyond calling it Wonderland. It was then that you felt like this place is a real sanctuary for her and him taking a picture of it, documenting it. It was it was the two of them being the most pure versions of who I think these two characters are. And I think it was a great quiet moment with no dialogue.
0: I also think it's fascinating because we had that paralleling moment of Jimmy taking a picture of Django, Adam's love, and documenting that. There's like that something about taking that photograph and like having it, you know, to have like that memory there for good and for bad. Like this this beautiful little thing and then this also like super sinister thing over here. It's like what she was saying, like I don't talk about the thing that I love the most because it could like go away kind of thing. It's like you take a picture and that's what keeps it.
1: Another thing the show is doing really well. My mind is just kind of wandering as I go through the conversations that they have. Cause again, I think this is just another nice touch of realism and something that we all do every day and maybe don't are aware of it that she has this day with Adam. She had had the conversation in a cafe about the dogs And then she goes home and has a conversation about dogs with her father and mentions, like I said before, some of the same dogs. It's just a more it's just the most recent example, but it's an example the show has had of where you have a conversation with person A over here at this time and your mind doesn't actually really leave the conversation. So you kind of continue having the same conversation or a version of it with person B later in a different place over there i I just everything about these two talking here half of what they talk about is things that they can only talk about with each other you know that she can't go home and talk to jimmy about her grief certainly can't talk to carlo about her grief or gina about her grief over rocco and adam definitely can't go home and talk about his feelings of guilt with rocco and probably doesn't talk about his grief with his mom to michael because michael doesn't want to hear you know it doesn't want to hear it from him right now so many parts of their conversations are just for the two of them but then there are other things they'll go home and they'll talk about continue the conversation like the dog conversation with someone else but they're still thinking about each other
0: i catch it on podcasts because we do record so many of these conversations where it's something that maybe you and i will be talking about on this podcast and then we'll be on an interview for a different show or not even having to do with interview with the podcast or something like that and we're saying, like, we'll, we'll bring up similar things or whatever, because it's like still in our brains from talking about it earlier. And that's what people do. You know, it kind of sits there and, you know, simmers around.
1: Case in point when just to bring it to the end of the Fia Adam time together, when she's encouraging him outside of his uh, NYU interview and he's having cold feet and she reminds him of what Rocco's plans were. And she says to him, you know, remember, you have to go shoot, f- you know, shoot for the moon made me think of the conversation you and I had about Mary in our 52 (laughs) Weeks of Christmas podcast doing It's Wonderful Life and the whole idea of the lasso of the moon and the way she makes that a motif for George and makes him the picture and stuff because she wants to encourage him to go lasso the moon and and make that happen. Uh, I thought it was a nice little callback to the conversation you and I were having.
0: See, people do it all the time. P.S. I love that Jimmy said, let's get a lion dog. (laughs) that was so funny i want to see it a lion dog i want a lion dog
1: it does look like a lion dog it's too. I so to
0: cute it up.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. the whole thing though like do i look like a chihuahua guy i don't know jimmy you drink a lot of cappuccino you drink a lot of espresso throughout the day you might be a chihuahua, a chihuahua guy i chihuahua. don't know a chihuahua <laughs> like you're you've, you've got your little teacup in your left hand and you've got a little chihuahua in your right
0: hand that's I can see really it. funny that's really funny yeah, how
1: much anxiety watching these two play with each other and maybe kiss, share their first kiss or girl, their first kiss that oh we get my to see together, god. while around the corner, the, one's father is plotting to kill the other's father.
0: Insane tension. Insane. Tension. I there were so many parts where I was like, Oh my god! Oh my god! What is going to happen? <laughs> yes. Yeah. When we get into Michael, this next part, I'm telling you, my the entire time, every single thing that was happening, I was like, Oh my god! Oh my god! Paul walked into the room right at, near to the very end. And I was like pointing at the screen. I was like, you don't understand this guy. He's telling Michael the business. Like, I was like, oh, my God,
1: I got to tell you, when Michael and Adam are having that conversation uh, in their kitchen, you see their very nice, like full length floor to ceiling windows behind them in the living room. And oh, my like- God.
0: I thought the same thing. Did you think that, that they were going to shatter? I thought they were going to shatter. Yes, I, 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 was, I thought the uh, same thing. I was like, "Oh no, because I thought that's why we were having. I kept asking in, in the middle of this, I said, "Why were they having this moment? This moment seemed to come out of nowhere. And I get where you're going with the days that they both had, but the outline of the giant picture windows behind that them, were mostly and this, open. Oh. And this really nice moment between the two of them, I was like, these windows are going to shatter. They are going yeah. to shatter. They're going to have to hit the floor and all their their lovely conversation here is going to shatter with it.
1: Oh, I thought for sure Adam was going to take a stray bullet. That was the oh, tension for me. Oh, my God, you the did? Tension me, the tension for me was that Adam was going to get caught in a crossfire, Frankie taking some kind of straight shot at Michael. Because, again, Jimmy yeah. Jimmy doesn't know about Adam yet. He's not focused on Adam. Maybe maybe after finding the inhaler, but he's focused on Michael did this to my son, not Michael's son did this to I me.
0: have a question. After Frankie comes out and he says, the son came home, and then Jimmy says... Does he say kill both of them?
1: No, no. What does when he say? He says the son came home. Are you sure? And then he, I think he waves them off. All right, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna pop in the episode. Real All right,
0: long. go look.
1: No, Jimmy doesn't say anything.
0: And then and so Frankie says both of them.
1: He says both of them. And then that's it. That's the only conversation. Jimmy is just kind of looking like he. It's a weird mixture. It's a weird expression he has on his face. Almost like I can't believe the kid came. I can't believe he came home. Or I got to rethink this. And we see Fia do the U-turn behind them. And then it cuts back into the car and Frankie and Jimmy still kind of like just kind of staring straight ahead. And then Frankie pulls away and then it cuts back to inside the kitchen. What
0: do we hear that as? Are we are, is the hit on both of them?
1: No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because if it was on both of them, he wouldn't have stopped right.
0: Then. Why does he say both of them then?
1: He gets back in the car and says both of them. I think he's explaining to Jimmy why he didn't do it.
0: Mm, I don't know, listeners. I want to hear y'all's feedback on this one because I I think the hit is on both of them now. You know, I could be wrong, but that's what I'm hearing. Uh,
1: Maybe, and for sure, that definitely makes sense, but things are going to get real super awkward when fia goes to bring adam no last name around the house to to meet her dad
0: do you think that's gonna happen like i mean is that like a foregone conclusion like we're definitely gonna get there or due to the uh events at the marina uh, the jig is up
1: i mean fia's life still has to go on right i mean she's still gonna be trying to see adam presumably i don't know how heartbroken she's gonna be over carlo getting pinched so i feel like that's still gonna happen maybe not next week okay but Soon, I no. I think I think it has to happen. I think because it has to put Adam on the radar. It has to complicate the matter further for Jimmy and Michael and and what they want. Because even if you think about what Jimmy says to Michael when he's holding him at gunpoint, and all the things that he knows, which actually we have the audio here because it was really really funny.
0: Here's here's what I know, Judge. I know your car was stolen the day after you killed my son. I know you deleted
1: the gas station footage.
0: I know you had the car crushed. So let's just skip your denying everything. Get to where I shoot you in the fucking head. No,
1: no, 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 no. I love when he says, so can we skip to the part where I just shoot you in the fucking head? (laughs) All of the things that he knows, it's not none of it is your son did this. Your son did this. It was all you had the car crash.
0: A thousand percent.
1: So Adam... Back that Adam Desiato being added into the mix is going to make Jimmy shit himself. I think that of all the gin joints in all the world that you walk into mine kind of thing.
0: The whole thing. That was so crazy. Let's let's talk about what led up to that, because this had a, a good slow burn to a huge explosion at the end here.
1: Michael had a very busy episode.
0: Didn't he? It was like a very busy, productive Michael. I'm super glad that they started off this episode with him immediately pulling up that picture because we were all like, why didn't he go find that license plate? And he immediately pulls it up, grabs Nancy. How much bullshit goes on in diner land like i totally every time i'm at a diner now i am be like i wonder who's being killed at what table in this diner because that's like where all the business goes down did you think nancy was gonna i like doing business info?
1: one i like doing business in the diner i think a yeah. diner is a great because the tables are really big and as long as you don't order a fuck ton of food you actually had a lot of room to work at a diner I that's like true diners. it's
0: a good place to do like homework and stuff
1: Diner booths, a great place to hatch plans, to come up with podcast ideas. <laughs> it's a great place to be productive. True I am that. very and and because of the walls, usually on the booth, it actually provides you, it affords you a bit of privacy also, as long as you keep your voice down. So I'm, I'm a big pro diner guy. And I got to uh, say
0: that the waitresses tend to bring you your stuff and go away.
1: Uh, the ones that want to hear your business, they're going to hear your business no matter where you are. They don't need to stand in front of you to hear the goss, you know, <laughs> so. Um,
0: Madge uh, doesn't fr- give a shit.
1: Before we even get there, I just just a, a good hat tip and a good at a boy, at a girl to the makeup department. Brian Cranston looks about the age of the Crypt Keeper in the opening shot of this episode. When he's pulling up the license plate and finally taking a look at that after we've been yelling at him for episodes to go do it, he finally does it in this one. He looks so old. He, he is so aged. Like, I'd say 20 years aged. Uh, in this scene, which I think just shows you how much the pressure and the stress is just getting to him. Uh, do you buy that Nancy gets bullshitted as much as he bullshits her in that scene? Does I that, mean, that surprise I, you that she gave it up.
0: She she well, here's the thing. She doesn't read it off to him. She just kind of is like, I well, I'm just going to walk away on all this. I I was surprised at how complicated Michael's story was. That was a tall tale, he explains to her, in a way that I was like, this is a woman who loves to ask questions. She asks very few questions and then does bring up the Camry list. Four Camrys
1: that involve that license, that partial license plate. Two of the searches pulled up. It was the Joan Stevens and the Eduardo Lincoln had an exact match for the license plate smidgen that he had. Uh, and then Peter Martin and Regina Stacy had similar matches to the license plate.
0: Did you think that Nancy was going to totally just turn the can turn the laptop around? I...
1: I, yeah I mean I guess I guess I mean she she's definitely not the kind of person who's going to show it to him. So in her code, getting up to go to the bathroom is like her being as bad as it probably allows herself to be it was such a tall tale Caroline.
0: it was so complicated. And the worst
1: lies are the really complicated ones because they sound like you're trying to make up lots of facts. And that's what this sounded like. But I think I know why, though.
0: I do, too. I think she was a part of some sort of abusive situation.
1: I think she was a part of an abusive situation. So it had to buried in that because he says, oh, of course, you know.
0: And he kind of acts a little bit like, oh, shoot, I, I said too much. Which is a really shitty
1: way to manipulate someone. Yes. I mean, have you no decency, sir? Do you, have no, do you have no lines you won't cross? Uh, yeah, I, and I think that's why it had to be so complicated so that he could hit her right on the abusive relationship bone without highlighting it so he had to bury it in there which required a really complicated story
0: he hit it and she turns it over to him man i was like waiting to see how long it would take to get there when we show up at eduardo's and he is this old man in the assisted living i was like well shit what's gonna happen now like how are we gonna get there i completely thought the scene was was going to be just for us to have time for Michael to just throw up all of his feelings. Because, again, like you were saying, Adam doesn't have anyone to talk to. That's Uh like the the role of the Fia relationship. Michael has no one to talk to either. So having this moment where he could just get it off his chest and say, like, I have all this pressure and all this stress, I really thought that's all this was going to be. So when the man actually says the whole Trevor stole my Camry, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I literally, my jaw like dropped. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like this is, there's actually a love connection here. Like we actually did.
1: So I, even, I have that even in my notes. Why does the uh, Eduardo Lincoln still have a car? This man should not be driving a car. Thank God he stays to for Ed to be his confessor. For all the aging that they had put on him at the beginning of the episode. I feel like just sitting there and talking about my son, my son, and, and, and really understanding Loading himself, uh, you know the way that loving someone that much can break you, and you know they they, they you know hold you in a bombing hair, all of that. I agree. I thought that's what it all was. But what a nice twist, though, for tr- Trevor to be the shitty son that stole his camera.
0: And additionally, I think that we were also disappointed in Michael's clear manipulation of Nancy that when Ed starts crying and he stops and he does come back, he, he could have easily walked out with the man crying. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's like, no, he does have a heart. He is a good man. Remember, he is a good man. And he does come back and he does have a conversation with him. Yeah. And I know it's to his benefit, don't get me wrong, but also Ed was so happy that he stayed. Danny!
1: Danny! Oh gosh. You're staying, Danny. For how is Tampa? I know I'm doing Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> you are doing just, Jimmy Stewart because <laughs> I'm just stuck in the Jimmy Stewart mode. But it seems right for Ed, though. A little bit. I I love I love that uh, Michael even from the kitchen yells about how Tampa's hot. Like he's like I don't fucking know anything about Tampa. It's <laughs> hot. It's mean. always hot. Like he's just yeah.
0: he's just doing it. He's just doing it to placate Ed, and it's coming from a place of wanting this man to be okay and not not wanting to hurt him. You know, and I think that that's. Perfection. The 67 cigarettes, Mike. Oh my God. For the rest of my life, when one of my children is making me crazy, I'm being just like 67 cigarettes. <laughs> That's all I have to say. You're going to be like, how was your day? And I'm gonna be like 67 cigarettes, Mike. And you're going to be like that bad.
1: <laughs> I pulled the end quote when they're walking down the hallway and it's a little far away, but it's pretty funny.
0: 67 cigarettes. And that ask first motherfucker
1: steals my camera yeah the uh ass backwards motherfucker is gonna go into my repertoire <laughs> as, uh, describe useless people that ass good. backwards motherfucker it's stole my camera yeah it's pretty <laughs> funny but listen i mean ed ed here was killing it and and i think brian cranson if brian Cranston submits for an emmy for this show i think this is the scene that he submits
0: i like that
1: in in a series where he's already had some really great moments this is just raw. This is just some mm-hmm. raw acting. And when Ed reaches out his hand, and I they hold know
0: hands, Jesus. I know I've rewound that scene a couple of times. I was like, <gasps>
1: it, it was really getting to me. And, and, and because you feel he is doing this all for his son. It's not, it's, you know, sometimes you see shows where a person starts off with one motivation, but then it quickly becomes about them. Right. And can they get away with the thing or can they do the thing where they almost appropriate, for themselves, the reason they're doing something. I don't think at any point here Michael has actually appropriated this whole big kerfuffle he's created for himself. He's not living out some of his own personal glory. he's not he's not doing it to try and actively fool Nancy or Lee or the system. It really is all to dig the hole sideways now at this point so that he and Adam come out of the other end alive and that carries a lot of stress. You know, and and I love that he just kind of breaks down. But Ed, though, brings it so hard. It's the audio that we opened up the clip with where he says, if you can't bear your soul to your family, then I don't know what's what. I I mean, that's just some fucking homespun wisdom that I love. And it's so true.
0: And to bring up old Dolly in the middle of all that with her 1977 Grammys pink dress.
1: Let you think of that outfit. I sent it to you.
0: I loved it. And I'm like, Ed, you are just you're delicious. I I mean, two
1: Dolly Parton's. I mean, he says Dolly Dolly Parton.
0: uh, Does Dolly Dolly, Parton lay on his lay on her back?
1: Sleep on her back. (laughs) Hell yeah, she does.
0: I was laughing so hard. I was like, yes, Ed. Yes. The whole thing taking Ed going on this outing, all this biz. I was like, oh, my God, we're actually going to find Trevor. Like, we're really going to go find him. He didn't just like go off on his own. Now he's like bringing Ed to go find him. I got to say it was like we were just suddenly on Trevor. Like it was a really quick cut.
1: Yeah, but night had fallen, though yeah so what I because he had the address, what I think he did was I think he probably went to the house and stalked him okay from because because he realized that he must be using the car as a cab as like a as a what we call a taxi service or a black cab service here, even though it's not I think black it was cab. like an
0: uber ish kind of thing, right okay,
1: yeah, sure, so I think he's stalking him until he can get him and jump in the fare because he's with Ed during the day.
0: It was just kind of a quick cut from me, It like, was, a super I was quick like, oh cut, geez, yeah. okay, now we found Trevor.
1: Yeah, especially when you think about the fact that Frankie is following him and tailing him yes. this
0: point. <laughs> what a day. Jimmy's like over there like, oh my God.
1: He's like this guy. <laughs> He's with them point. too.
0: I mean, they're together, so God.
1: He's got a grandpa in the assisted living facilities. I mean, talk about leverage. And I- I'm surprised Michael didn't seize on that more, which I guess is probably the difference between Michael and Jimmy and Gina, right? Jimmy and Gina see the picture of Trevor and uh, uh the son fishing but jimmy and gina probably go kidnap the little son and use him as leverage lose that camera footage delete it or else your son winds up in a in a river somewhere
0: okay so hang on i kind of assumed that that was ed with a young trevor
1: oh interesting because then Maybe. that's
0: how we knew that trevor liked fishing that's what i thought because it kind of looked like an old photo
1: yeah, actually, that probably makes sense because that picture actually didn't look like the Trevor that we know. And again,
0: a photos coming into play.
1: My theory is that he's probably started at the address because he seemed to take special note of where it was. He definitely
0: did. Okay. Uh,
1: which is uh, 40744 de Almas. By the way, Noah's is the living place at the address where at least Ed gets his mail uh, at apartment 200 there. There was a great line, though, and I don't want to gloss over it because I think it was just a, re- it was a really nice double, a double meaning uh, line where... Uh, the, the howdy ho neighbor guy at the counter is, is talking about how Michael sounds like he makes hymns yes uh on the side and he deadpans this is all i do this is my life i don't have any spare time yeah and i was thinking to myself i mean he means it as like a very serious like do-gooder michael spends all of his time now cleaning up this murder
0: yes and it
1: is all he does he has no spare time all yes. he does is is, is go around cleaning up shit. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean the crime system he's gonna get in trouble i mean when was the last time he was holding court i the think guy, it's been a while the, the guy with the the, the a fake grandpa funeral and the blackmail phone, I think. So.
0: I, speaking of blackmail phone though, oh my God, about using the blackmail phone, same trickery on Trevor. It's like, you know, a little taste of your own medicine by shoving it into the back of the seat there.
1: I was thinking to myself, and I have in my notes here, is why did he get out so quickly? Why did he not press the motive? I mean, he could have he could have gotten Trevor to go drive him to some deserted field and really fucked him up. But no, it, of course, it made a lot of sense when he slips the phone into the thing. He, you're exactly right. He's given him a little taste of his own medicine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How in sense, the same way Jimmy finds the inhaler and seems to steal him to making a decision. How much do you think it would have pissed you off if you had found out you were being blackmailed for $222,000 and that a motherfucker was going to go buy a boat with that I money.
0: had said last week that I was applauding the show for showing everyone's clear motive. And maybe this guy had some serious situation going on with some mobsters who were trying to kill him because he had this, like, gambling debt. Okay? I made this whole freaking backstory for Trevor. And I loved it.
1: I was there for because it was a really specific amount and it made a lot of sense. <laughs>
0: For it to turn out to be that this was just like something he just wanted to do for like leisure activity and he was really like the scum ball kind of guy. I was like, oh, my God, seriously, like yeah. at least we were right that there was a specific amount. There was a motive behind it. It just wasn't nearly as exciting as I thought.
1: Yeah, it turns out it's the cost of a nice fishing boat together with the tax licensing and registration. That's oh, where God. the extra $22,000 comes from. What a, That's, yeah. <laughs> what a fucking Muppet. I wanted, I <laughs> wanted, I wanted to, to garrot him, you know, oh le- leave God. the gun, take the cannolis. Uh, oh my God. Another guy who just needed to get punched in the face. Fucking Trevor.
0: That is so uh, funny. He said, what a Muppet.
1: Well, <laughs> All of that being
0: said. Uh, I still, hold on. Did you see it happening? I, I, okay, hold on. When he leaves him in the boat and he says, I left the paperwork in the car and he starts walking away every part of me's like this goddamn boat is going to like explode 100% <laughs> yes. like something was going to explode no sense that then the guy just gets off the boat and follows him to go get the paper goes <laughs> like what is happening? Yeah.
1: I but, thought for sure yeah, oh. the boat was gonna explode or the car was gonna explode that was gonna get wired or some kind of detonation. Something was gonna blow up. It felt like every time I had ever seen that happen in a movie or a TV show, it was like you turned the ignition key. Ah pfft. Exactly. you know, it felt exactly like that. I
0: thought he was gonna say the 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 paperwork's in the car. Go ahead, go to the car, Trevor. Do the do the ignition key poof, everything, over and over and over again. Maybe now because we've seen an explosion, now we're just ready. Constantly, we're like, oh, this is probably going to explode. The boat's going to explode. No, the car's going to explode.
1: How much easier to make a car or boat explode versus an entire fucking house? I mean, we know uh. Jibby's got this tool in his tool bag. So and the yeah.
0: marina, I mean, if floodlines taught me anything, it's that a lot of bad shit can go down around the marina.
1: It's <laughs> very true. It's a lot of gasoline, a lot of gasoline everywhere. In the, in and the water just, also. Boats are
0: kind of dangerous. The water's kind of dangerous. Things slip, people slip in, things happen. You don't know.
1: Anyway, so I'm thinking to myself and I have my notes. I said, self, I don't know you that financing. I said, self, I don't know that <laughs> financing a boat for your blackmailer is the best move here. I question I question your plan here, Michael. This doesn't seem like the best use of the leverage that you may now have on this guy.
0: It felt like just a bridge to 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 more wrongdoing. Like I was like, Trevor's not gonna get out of this alive. like I just there was nothing about this part that felt like this was a doable plan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also I feel like Michael's putting a lot of eggs in the Trevor loves to fish basket.
0: Agree.
1: (laughs) The idea that Trevor, in just three years, maybe when he sets the biggest tuna record. That he says his friend said last season, maybe he's like, you know what? I'm going to hang up my fishing hooks. I've done all I can do in this sport. Well, where's your fucking leverage then, Michael? Are you going to go buy him a, a new race car because now he wants to be a race car driver? You know? I just
0: I just feel like so. Let's just assume that Michael had a bigger, better plan that he was walking to the car with Trevor and he, something more was going to happen, that that was not actually the plan that Michael had Because they get, you know, they get stopped by by Frankie and Jimmy. So the plan doesn't actually happen. It doesn't play out. Like, let's just assume he had a much better plan that was much bigger than this. Sure, because, at, <laughs> you know, at
1: the end of your 54-month lease, you know, Damn you're going to have to do something. What, are you going to buy him a new boat? You're going to trade it in for another 10-year, another five-year lease? It's know.
0: weird. So I'm going with that. I'm sticking my. I'm sticking with he was taking him to do something weirder.
1: There is a nice circling back around to when Michael was in a bank and was not able to withdraw the money he needed to, that he did pick up a loan application for a boat RV loan.
0: Shut up. What?
1: I'm just—I'm making up some headcat oh, in like, well, like, like, wait, you're what? Not gonna, you're not going to give me my two hundred thousand dollars from the bank. Well, give me a loan then. I need that cash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to finance so a funny. boat. You're totally. Oh, we're filling everybody in with all this like insanity. Like they're going to be like, I didn't even see the the loan application part.
1: I, did, I think that did they cut that scene? Is that like a behind the scenes where they had a whole loan application uh, d- manager of loans? <laughs> OK, listen, uh, full disclosure, I felt obviously Frankie and Jimmy were going to make their presence known. I still jumped a mile high. You when did.
0: You did think they were going to. I did not see them. Making I, they, this gonna, they followed him around the entire episode. Oh. They had to eventually
1: come to face to face. But when they when they jump out of the thing and he slams his he slams Trevor, who I was not said to be seen, you know, slam slams him against the rudder yeah i I jumped i jumped and then they see him dragging the body the lifeless body i thought trevor was already dead at that point me too yeah no not so dead trevor's dead but not yet
0: let's talk about jimmy finally coming face to face with michael
1: he had a lot of feelings this is where i was surprised well not surprised because obviously brian cranston has to stick around for a few more episodes he is the lead here that being said i'm surprised jimmy didn't shoot faster that that there was so much conversation do you think it's because jimmy felt like he had to get stuff off of his chest or he needed to hear michael say why he did what he did leave his son to die without doing anything
0: he wants the perpetrator dead but he wants answers more than anything he wants to know why his son was left in the road he wants he wants someone to explain this situation. Not that he's going to accept it or be like, okay, that's cool. But just, you know, in the same way that Fia is asking for for wishing she knew like Rocco's last words and stuff like that, I think there's just a sense of closure that killing him, I, it's not like, yes, on one hand, you feel like it would come, but it didn't come with Kofi. And so I feel like there's that sense of like, I, I need to get as much information out of this man before anything happens anyway. Do you feel it differently? Did you hear it differently?
1: No, I think that's right. I think I think, especially the way he phrases it when he's going through his litany, and we heard the clip before, of the things I know, and he he seems particularly offended as much as anything else that Michael left his son to die in the street without helping him. Maybe maybe Rocco didn't need to die. The idea that Rocco died in the street you know like some like some kind of trash i think is really one of the things that sticks in jimmy's craw that he can't get over that he needs an answer to why would you do that why
0: and I think it's a fair question. We're going through a pandemic right now. And one of the common moments of, of absolute pain that people say is that, and people are dying alone. People are dying alone, whether it's in the hospital or whatever, they're not with a loved one or whatever. I think that that's part of this whole grief is that he wasn't even with anybody when he passed. You know, why would you do that to someone?
1: You denied me to be with my son in his last moments. And-
0: Or even anyone, he was and alone. worse, left
1: him alone.
0: I don't ever think about kids' deaths like this, but if you wanted to go down that road, the idea of your child dying alone and afraid is way worse.
1: Yes. i hard-pressed to come up with something that's worse. Now, it was a, a bit of Dussek Machina good luck that Lee, right before Trevor showed up, had called and gotten a hold of Michael and was able to tell him about Carlo being fingered by the inmate, plus his DNA being on Kofi's body, and so now there's enough to arrest him Michael is able to trade helping Carlo out in court in exchange for Jimmy leaving Michael alive. Now, did that surprise you that he traded that and does this put Lee in danger in some way?
0: It did not surprise me because we had said in the previous episode that the only leverage that Michael was ever going to have in this situation was I thought Carlo was going to do something new having to do with the drugs that was going to end him in court in front of Michael. But we knew that that's where his leverage... I mean, it's called Your Honor. I feel like we always knew it was going to end in a courtroom where Michael now has to choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing again. Right. It's all going to come over again. Knowing that it did not surprise me that it was put before him as like, listen, I have control in one place and that is a courtroom. Let me me do what I can for your family there. Now, it it did surprise me, though, because I really thought it was going to be a new crime that he had committed. So I didn't see Lee needing to make that call right then. I thought maybe somehow there was going to be something else that was going to happen. Maybe you know Big Mo calls in Carlo or something. I didn't know exactly how it was going to go down, but it, it did feel like they were going to end up in a courtroom.
1: This all this whole show exists because Michael knew Jimmy Baxter was involved because of his son is the one who was killed. This is one of the great things I love about the show is no one has all of the information. Adam doesn't know about what's going on with Jimmy and Michael. Michael doesn't know about Adam and Fia. Michael also doesn't know that Jimmy knows about Michael because he doesn't know that he talked to Leland Monroe. So Michael was not able to prepare for this. He was ready for Nancy and that bullshit story. You know, this whole episode was Michael kind of back on the horse of being prepared for the things that he thought he was able to control. And he had elaborate stories for everything. This was a total blindside for him. So it would have been interesting without Lee's phone call to see what, if anything, Michael would have been able to come up with on the spot to try and trade his life. I'm sure he would have come up with something because he is a resourceful guy. But I'm curious what would have had the same allure feels
0: like. Wouldn't it be good to have a judge in your pocket? Wouldn't it be good to have somebody, you know, you're going to have other situations where you might need my help, you know, forever favor kind of thing. You know, you'll always be fine in my courtroom kind of thing. Something like that feels right. I I mean, it would be a blathering mess because he wouldn't have anything specific but that is the only place where he held power and it's the namesake of this whole show
1: now do you think that jimmy hesitates there and struggles with the decision of whether or not to kill michael versus help carlo because to, to go full circle back to the beginning of our conversation because carlo is maybe not his biological child, or at least not a favorite child of his. If it's Fia that's getting arrested, does he hesitate or does he instantly make a deal?
0: I think there's, there's several parts here. I mean, there's a trust issue, obviously. I mean, the guy doesn't have to do what he says he's going to do, you know. If he lets him go now, like Big Mo says, I know where your shiny ass is located. Like, I can find you again. But he he could just kill him and be done with this right this second. But I think that Carlo is such the constant gaping wound of that family that even if it wasn't current happening Kofi just was dead you know this was actually happening if to just know that this judge would be someone who you could call a favor on and you know basically hang this over his head the whole time I mean that that is an attractive offer for him because he i mean carlo is is just waiting for the other shoe to drop even if it wasn't kofi it was going to be something he knows he's dabbling into drugs he knows he's got this little crew going he knows it's likely something's going to come down on him and you know could take the baxters out
1: yeah i I think that's a dead-on read but i think there's also just more also emotional uh, not that he maybe hesitates more if it's anyone else but i think he hesitates less say if it's Fia at the same time i think the i think the math is more concrete try and save my living child who is beloved versus just revenge for the dead child that i can't help anymore yeah i think i think jimmy's doing that math there i want to give it a word to henchman of the week because <laughs> henchman <of> the, week. <laughs> the second the second michael brings up carlo is about to be arrested you hear doop, doop, doop,
0: doop, 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 yeah doop. yeah
1: frankie on the fucking phone on the ones and twos getting that call out there calling whoever to verify it while jimmy's got his gun up against michael's head that is crack todd cracker jack. Top notch henchman work. Yeah. Sidekick villains. That's, villain that's work. what
0: you want, man. That's what you want. You want that guy over there. He's all he's all given the nod, like, yes, mm, this is Whoa. accurate.
1: I love, though, that because it shows you the tension that Jimmy's under and he's doing the math in his head when Frankie yells off screen, you know, boss or Jimmy or whatever it is to get his attention to verify what Michael's just told him. He screams. He's like, shut up. Let me think. Let me think like my uh, Jimmy is. I mean, you don't want the really stressed guy holding the gun with his finger on the trigger, but that's (laughs) Jimmy in this situation.
0: So predictions for next week. Hit me up. What do you think? What's happening in lucky number seven?
1: Well, Carlo gets arrested, right? I think Carlo gets arrested. So I, th- I think we get our first courtroom scene where Jimmy or Gina or all of the Baxters are together in the courtroom, staring daggers, boring holes into Michael. I think I think you're going to see a, a a little bit of a not so composed Michael from the bench, which is something we haven't seen. Michael is always really in control when he is in his robe sitting high above things. I think he, we're going to see a less composed Michael next week.
0: I am going to go with Fia and Adam and bringing Adam home and that whole thing happening. I think that that's that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I'm trying to think of who else is going to come into play because because otherwise our show is going to get very, very small if we're just in a courtroom and it's just about Adam and Fia. Like it's it's, we've got to open it up a little bit more. Something else has to come cropping up. Well,
1: we got mom in law, Margo. We've got mom in law. We've
0: got the across the street neighbor. Still dangling out there. Nana Pistachio.
1: Nana Pistachio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what she's eating on the forge. Something's got to open up. I mean, eliminating the blackmail part is great. And now the information's out there about the gas station. But something else has to come in. Or else it's just the show's getting too small for it to still have four episodes left. We need more. I, maybe Lee's going to figure out something. Maybe Nancy's going to start asking more questions. We still have that Margot, Nancy, Robin conversation coming in the future, I hope.
1: Why does Michael go to Nancy for the license plate information? You've I
0: thought ordered- the same damn thing, especially because they went through the trouble of showing the court reporter person looking up about that funeral on that computer. Do you remember that? Where they're like, mm-hmm, Nope, mm-hmm. there was no funerals that day. It seemed to me there was a working computer.
1: <laughs> judges have access to license plates. I've 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 had plenty of traffic tickets. The judges, court's assistants are the clerks are looking up your record. you they can put access the dmv and the and the you know the license plate registration records like there and, and even if not even if it has to be through the police department you don't know any other fucking cops you're a Why judge don't you I ask through our...
0: charlie ask through charlie
1: real heads up charlie my man if someone says should something happen to me you you'll take care of my son right that's not a man who's in a good position charlie so when you say are you doing okay michael no no he's not doing okay <laughs> You know, you're at Ted Frostop's Diner doing your work. <laughs> uh, by the way, Ted Frostop's has four out of five stars on Yelp with 93 reviews. They're <laughs> known for their Lotto Burger and their Poe Boys are very popular.
0: You are so funny. We need like a promo code for it. Just it be like promo code Tales from Yelp.
1: <laughs> Just said send- Send me a shrimp po' boy. I will be your friend. I love a shrimp po' boy. Are you a shrimp
0: po' boy, po' boy?
1: I am a big shrimp po' boy guy. Yeah, that char- the Charlie question just made me laugh, though. Like, Charlie, motherfucker! No, he's not doing okay. He's yeah. he's signing his will here at the diner table over po' boys. With
0: you, with you, with you. Why, Nancy? Is it just to keep that character in play? Because, I think
1: so. Because it's
0: getting too small. I mean, it's all getting too small. I, you rapidly. have to blow it back up. There has to be some other complicating factors. Big Mo is out there. Big Mo still desire right We yep. can't just like cut that whole group out. Like right now, the way if you just followed the plot, it would be like, oh, I think it's about Fia and Adam meeting Jimmy. And I think it's about Carlo and a trial. That's not good enough. What happened to the desire group? What happened to Lise and the relationship over here? What happens with Nancy over here? Where's Margot, Old Mrs. Martindale. Where is she in all this mix? Get Charlie back in here with his with his politics. Like, we need to make our world bigger again.
1: So you make a good point that it's starting to feel small, but, I mean, you just proved it's really not small. You know, I have a feeling Carlo actually probably gets off somehow, uh, unjustly on the Kofi case only. And I say that only because he's got this burgeoning drug business plot wise and narratively feels like it can cause so much more problems for Jimmy, for his family, for Big Bo and Desire. It, Carlo getting this sub faction of the Baxter crime family into the drug business seems like it's going to be a much more lucrative thing for everyone narratively. It just seems like that's going to be the much more complicated Storyline that brings in all of these characters that you were just talking about.
0: I am looking forward to it. I mean, this has been a wild ride. This is like our dilapidated wonderland. <laughs> I can't wait to learn, have more adventures.
1: I uh, know. I'm going to go serve myself up uh, a po' boy. This was this was a hell of an episode. I was going to go
0: yeah. check out that Grammy dress of Dolly Parton's and light up one of my first of 67 cigarettes.
1: Ass backwards, motherfucker.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is Caroline.
1: And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to Tales from Yaya's, the Your Honor podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Tales from Yaya's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it so that Frankie doesn't have to tail you around until you leave a review. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you.